Well, good morning. Saw so some of you dancing to that music, right? So, so happy you braved the cold. We are glad that you are here this morning with us. I'm glad that you are here. Um, we're going to continue in a series we started last week. How many of you remember this scene from eight years ago? Look up at the screen there. That is an Amish community in Naple, uh, Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, that uh, is going to a funeral of five girls who were killed by Charles Roberts. Roberts went into a schoolhouse, a one-room schoolhouse, and barricaded uh, that one door and opened fire on ten, uh, ten girls, and he killed five of them and then turned the gun on himself. This news, made, uh, this news made national news as the tragedy unfolded. And it's been widely reported that after that, that this community acted in a very questionable way. Just hours after the, the shooting happened, there were some Amish that went down and walked to the widow's house and the parents' house to offer sympathy and to extend forgiveness. There was uh, a man who held Robert's father as he sobbed for up to an hour. And then a local bank set up a fund for Robert's widow's kids. And people sent in donations from that community. The Amish community sent in donations for his children. And then the nation responded in light of this and sent donations in, and they took some of those donations that they were receiving, and they made them available for Robert's children. In a book called Amish Grace, Donald Craybill writes this, I think the most powerful demonstration of the depth of Amish forgiveness was when members of the Amish community went to the killer's burial service at the cemetery. Several families, Amish families, who had buried their own daughters just the day before were in attendance, and they hugged the widow and hugged the other members of the killer's family. Let me ask you a question. When you hear that story, does it raise questions for you? Like, who are they really? Tell me more about them. I mean, how could they on one day be burying their own child and on the next day be standing beside Robert's widow and the family comforting them? How could that be? How could they ever offer forgiveness? Why would they ever want to offer forgiveness? Now, the Amish community is in no way perfect. But in light of this tragedy and the way that they acted, it does paint a picture a very vivid picture of what we might call questionable forgiveness. I believe there are some of us in this room that would say, I could never do that. Some may say, I would never ever want to offer forgiveness. It's why some theologians, some scholars, and psychologists have said forgiveness is one of the most powerful forces in the universe. And that if we really could understand and practice forgiveness, it would change people's lives. Most importantly, ours. But it's hard. It is very 
difficult. And I got to be honest with you, forgiveness is something that you cannot do on your own. And I know this series, we're talking to Christians, Christ followers, and I realize not everybody in this room is a Christ follower. And so if you will, can you just let me speak to the Christians, to the Christ followers in this moment? If you're a Christ follower, then when you look at the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ, they exemplify radical forgiveness. And so I want to look today at an exchange that Jesus had with some of his disciples as we continue in the series. Before I do that, I do want to get Bibles in your hands. So ushers, if you will come down. If you don't have a Bible with you today, you can take one. Just signal to the usher. They'll give it to you. If you don't have one, this is a gift from the church to you. Please keep it. Whoa, I thought I was going through puberty again, huh? (laughs) That's the way to lighten up the mood. I'll do that every so often throughout the talk. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to be in Matthew 18, first book in the New Testament. So uh, locate that. But let me tell you where we've been. Last week, we did start this series called My Questionable Life. The first message was last week, and we're going to continue in that. And what we did, we gave you permission last week. We said, hey, this week, go make some questionable decisions in your life. We gave you permission to do that. We hope that you did that. But here's what we mean by that. We're hoping that you live in such a countercultural way that it will catch people's attention, that they will look around and look at your life, and they have to start asking, um... Why did you do that? Who, tell me a little bit more about you. We're challenging ourselves to live in such a way that it evokes curiosity in others. And they start to poke questions at us, raise questions. And we have the opportunity to share the difference that Jesus is making in our lives. That's the whole intent of this series. Now, Jesus was asked a lot of questions. And one of the disciples, Matthew, a friend of Jesus, wrote a book, recorded Jesus' life, and he got some of those questions down. So I want to look in Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now, a little context for Peter's number. The rabbis and the teachers at the time said, listen, here's the deal. You are to forgive three times. They figured we had to put a limit on forgiveness so that nobody takes advantage of one another. So here, Peter comes, right? And he goes, he's thinking, oh, I'm going to double the number. So he says, how about seven? And he's waiting for Jesus and everybody to go, oh, you're, that's so forgiving. But here's Jesus's response. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now, some of your translations may say 77 times. This translation that we're using says 70 times seven. The point is not the number. It is the exaggeration of the number. Jesus isn't saying, hey, on the 78th time, let it rip. (laughs) No. He's not saying on the 491th time, you can just, you're off the hook. Let him have it. Not saying that. It's as if Jesus is saying this. He's saying, you want to know how many times you want to 
forgive? Don't keep count. It's as many times as, as it takes. It doesn't matter. And then he goes on with this story. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he would be sold, along with his wife, his children, everything he owned, to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he, was re and he released him and forgave him his debt. There's this king who wants to balance his books. He has an employee that owes him so much money, he could never repay it. In our modern day translations, it, it's translated millions. Some of your notes may say two billion dollars. He could not pay this back. And so the king decides to, to sell him off, his family and him, so he could recoup some of his losses. And the man just begins, throws himself down, please don't, please forgive me of this debt. And it catches the attention of the king. He, he had pity on this man. And, then he, and he basically says, I know that you could never repay that debt. You know that you could never repay that debt. It's canceled. Go. And then he continues the story. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time. Be patient with me and I'll pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. And when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that happened. I mean, picture the scene. This king relieves the debt and the employees leaving. This guy's leaving. He's got to be elated, right? He's celebrating. He's doing the happy dance because he finally has financial margin in his life. And he comes across one of his friends who owes him thousands of dollars. I'm thinking... If you owe me $1,000, I probably won't forget that. He forgot it. He forgot it. it. It was substantial. I mean, thousands of dollars, but it was minimal compared to the debt that he was forgiven. And the question that the king has, that I have, and I know that you have, is why doesn't this guy who was forgiven millions, why doesn't he forget the $1,000 debt? I think it's simple. I think it's that he doesn't understand what it means to be forgiven. I can wrap up this whole message today by giving you the sermon in a sentence right now. When I embrace that I am forgiven, I am empowered to forgive. You see, with Jesus' story, when you look at it, it seems like God is the king and we are those employees who have this debt with God. And God knows that we cannot pay that debt and he sent Jesus to cancel that debt for us. Yet we struggle, though forgiven the million dollar debt, we struggle with the thousand dollar debt. 
I have to admit, I am more like the employee than I am the king. How are you with forgiving those $1,000 debts? How are you about forgiving that person while you're at the Triangle Town Center getting ready to pull into your spot and somebody zips right in there? How are you when somebody is on 540 on a merge, left lane merge, and you see them race up in front and cut in? How are you at forgiving? You're in Kroger and you know that that's the express lane, 12 items, and you see somebody with two carts of groceries, right? How are you with forgiving the Panthers for losing that game last night? (laughs) Patriot fan. We almost lost. But I mean, it's hard to forgive those mild offenses, let alone the greater offenses that we have to. How are you at forgiving that spouse who has left you relationally devastated with mountains of debt? How are you in forgiving your spouse, that parent, who left you and abandoned you when you were a young child? How are you forgiving that friend or that coworker who violated your trust, who act solely for themselves? It is hard to forgive. Someone hurt you, somebody offended you, somebody took advantage of you, and it's hard. I know. My sister passed away 10 years ago of colon cancer. And one, she learned in June and she passed away in February. And sometimes when that happens, marriages can get worse. They can go in the wrong direction. My sister's marriage wasn't good to begin with. It, it got worse in, in light of this news. And I watched my brother-in-law act in ways that just made me so mad. Watched it watched his actions hurt my sister. When I knew that the pain of the disease was already hurting her, she didn't need that additional pain. And I watched my sister wrestle with this issue of forgiveness, and she wrestled with it literally to the moment of her last breath. She resolved it. They worked it out. I didn't. Watched her wrestle with it. I didn't. For years, I just kept recalling, replaying those scenes and getting angry. I was a software developer at the time, and then I stepped into working at a church and being a pastor, and all of a sudden, I'm starting to feel like a hypocrite. Right? I'm up here having to preach about the forgiveness of God, and yet I'm stewing on this. Went years. Then I had to do a message had a, uh, something to do about forgiveness. And then God started working on me, and I can truly say, and it took a couple years to get to that message in a little bit of time, I did work through the forgiveness and really did get to that point. It's hard. And part of the struggle is that it costs us, right? When somebody hurts you, it costs you. It cost my sister in the last... Months of her time, it cost her her energy to deal with that. It costed me and my family time that we wanted to be with my sister 
we spend some of that time being bitter and angry. It costs us. He owed me. I wanted an apology. Let's start with an apology, and I will ramp it up from there. There's something about when somebody hurts us that they owe us. They owe us back our childhood. They owe us back our money. They owe us back our time. They owe us back our reputation. When you've been hurt, there is a cost. There's always a cost to forgiveness. But there's also a cost to unforgiveness. I would argue that the cost to unforgiveness is actually greater than the cost of forgiveness. When the king hears the story of the unforgiving servant, he's, he's not happy. We read in verse 32, Then the king called in the man he had forgiven, and he said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. You see, when we choose not to forgive, when we choose to hold grudges, we kind of find ourselves in a different kind of prison. In one that is about anger and bitterness and retaliation. There is a cost to forgiveness, but it pales in comparison to unforgiveness and not forgiving someone. N.T. Wright, in his commentary on Matthew, says this, Forgiveness is more like the air in your lungs. There's only room for you to inhale the next lungful when you have just breathed out the previous one. If you insist on withholding it, refusing to give someone else the kiss of life they may desperately need, you won't be able to take any more in yourself, and you will suffocate very quickly. Could it be that when we cancel the debts of others, the person that's actually freed, me, and you? Now let me be clear. I'm not saying that forgiveness makes everything okay that happened in the past. Please hear that. I'm not saying that forgiveness, when you forgive and you choose to forgive, that the pain immediately starts to subside. I'm not saying that forgiveness, when you do that, you should just go trust the person you should, shouldn't trust again and put yourself in a bad situation. I'm I'm not saying those things. Forgiveness is a choice to cancel the debt to say, you don't owe me anymore. You see, other people cannot pay us for what they've done just as we cannot pay God back for what we have done. And as I worked on that message a couple years ago where God was working with me, he started to lift my eyes from others, my brother-in-law, and, and began to turn them to me, as he does here at the end of the story, when he looks and talks about the unmerciful servant. Verse 35 says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. This is one of those verses I wish Jesus never 
said. I, I really don't like this verse. It causes so much tension in me because Jesus is establishing this link between our forgiveness of others and God's forgiveness of us. And it rattles me as a Christ follower. I know that I am forgiven in Christ, but I hear God's voice here saying, but does your faith in Christ demonstrate that you are forgiven? Notice that I'm not saying earn your forgiveness. Please don't walk out of here and say, this is about works of forgiveness. No, works of salvation. But is, is my faith in Christ demonstrating that I'm forgiven? Because I want to say, yeah, but God, he doesn't deserve it. Rob, you didn't deserve it. Yeah, but he's not worthy. He hasn't shown. Rob, you have not shown perfectly. May we remember the sermon in the sentence, when I embrace that I am forgiven, I am empowered to forgive. This idea is repeated by Paul in a letter to the Ephesians. Now remember, Paul was mistreated. Paul, people tried to take his life and he was able to say this when falsely imprisoned, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Those two words right there make the world of difference. Just as. Paul is saying to do to others as God has done to you. He's not saying do to others as they deserve. He's not saying do to others as they have done to you. Do to others as God has done through Jesus Christ to you and that is forgive. To give the person the gift that God gave you, which is forgiveness through Christ. You see, that kind of forgiveness doesn't make a lot of sense unless we realize how much we've been forgiven. We need to understand what God is inviting us into here. We have accumulated a debt, a debt we could never pay back what debt? The, the, the debt is every time we choose to go our way versus God's way. Choosing self over God. That's accumulating a debt. And it's a debt we could never pay, but God knew that. And he sent his son to the cross to pay the price for that debt, to cancel it out. And rather than giving people what they deserve, we are to give them the love, the forgiveness, the grace, and the mercy that's been given to us. Sure, they don't deserve it. Sure, they aren't worthy. Sure, you cannot go at this alone. But remember, if you are a Christ follower, biblically, the Holy Spirit resides in you. That's the same spirit that is in Jesus Christ, the one who is able to forgive. So you have the power to forgive. It is a choice of whether you're going to do that or not. When I embrace that I am forgiven, I am empowered to forgive. Donald Craybill wrote, uh, as he researched uh, this tragedy in Nickel Mines, in Amish Grace, he wrote this. None of the Amish said, I hope he rots in hell. I hope God punishes him. In contrast, Craybill writes, one Amish man said to me, 
I wish for the killer in his eternal destiny the same as I wish for myself, meaning that he hoped that God would be merciful. The Amish community has long established this kind of posture of forgiveness. Their faith in God taught them to forgive from friends to coworkers to family to those around them. And I believe the reason they were able to forgive the million-dollar debts was because day after day, situation after situation, they exercised forgiving those thousand-dollar debts. What if we started to embrace that we were forgiven and empower and let that empower us to forgive? To forgive before somebody ever apologizes. To forgive even when everybody around you is yelling and crying, vengeance! To be able to forgive even though they really do owe you something. It did cost. Do you realize what questionable lives we would live if we did that? How much curiosity it would evoke from those around us? They'd be saying, why would you do that? How can you do that? And we could point them to God, the one who has given us the gift of Christ who forgave us so that they may have that gift of forgiveness. You know, eight years after that tragedy, we, don't, we know the names of the people that were forgiven We don't know the names of the particular or specific person that offered that forgiveness. The news didn't say, hey, Tony was the one that forgave. Sue over here did this and she forgave. The news reported that it was the Amish community that forgave. One of the reasons why this is such a powerful example of grace is because the whole community is known for questionable forgiveness. Imagine if we were a community that were known for questionable forgiveness. If we were known for a community that is marked by grace, a community that understands and extends forgiveness under unconditional love. You see, it's that kind of community that I believe God uses to change lives and change the world. Our mission here at LifePoint is real clear. Help people to connect with God. And one of the ways that we can do that, part of the ways we fulfill that, is to live lives that evoke curiosity. That, that is, we live them in such a way that's so compelling, so intriguing, that people say, tell me more. Who are you and what is going on inside of you? <laughs> May we live lives that are all about questionable forgiveness so that the unbelieving world will look in and say, I want that. And they may see their gracious and forgiving God. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you so much uh, that you created us and know that you are to lead us. And we get in the way and we create distance and you provided a way back through your son. And I just pray that for each one of us in here, no matter where we're at, that we get a glimpse of your forgiveness.
that comes through your son, Jesus Christ. And for those that don't know it, that they would step into that and receive that and then live differently because of it, not out of our own power, but through the power of your son. And it's in his name we pray, amen.